welcome to another episode of the Streaking the Lawn podcast. Once again, my name is Pierce, uh, and I've got Zach with me today, and Paul joining us. But uh, Zach, hello, how are you? I'm doing well, Pierce. How are you doing? Oh, great! It's the holiday season, and things are rainy and terrible in Charlottesville. Paul, how are you? Uh, rainy and terrible in, in Northern Virginia as well. So uh, in Philadelphia as well. Well, what do you know? You know, if it's going to be this nasty, I might as well snow. That's what, uh, that's how I feel in this situation. But, uh, you know, we got a lot of UVA sports news to talk about. Our our basketball teams are no longer undefeated, Zach. Both yeah. teams, they were, they were undefeated, and now they're not undefeated. What's the point, you know? Uh, like so. what? Well, that's a wrap. See you all next episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that, but uh, with it being signing day week here uh, in, in Sportsland, we wanted to get Paul on to talk about the football class of recruits. It's an interesting new world of recruiting because I feel like we can um, talk about the portal incoming and and outgoing to some extent but the incoming portal class of transfers sort of ties in in the same way that the incoming first years do in a way that you know didn't really exist back when you used to have to sit out a year or even when it was just a guy here or there now it's basically part of your recruiting class every cycle so a little bit different conversation uh, that I guess we'll just have to get used to but you know, uh, we've talked obviously at great length of the context of the end of this football season. So that, um, you know, I think plays in a little bit to uh, the conversation about uh, the roster and, and the turnover and this coaching staff and the hard job in front of them going into year two uh, for the coach Elliott uh, tenure here. But let's focus on just you know, the class coming in, the needs that have been addressed and uh, some things to get excited about from, uh, uh, you know, a purely uh, football, uh, the actual football <laughs> type of, of lens. So, Paul, uh, I know the Who's ended on a, a pretty high note um, this week in, in closing the class. So for people who don't, you know, religiously follow this, how how do things look uh, for, for next year's football new faces? Look pretty good. Uh, the the biggest piece of recruiting news came sort of as the last piece of recruiting news yesterday uh, with Cameron Robinson sticking to his commitment. Uh, this is a kid who is a, a linebacker out of the, the Tappahannock area um, that he is the number number eight, number nine overall player in Virginia for this class. Uh, had committed to UVA pretty early uh, in in the this recruiting cycle, but it started to get a lot more attention, especially from South Carolina and Florida State in the last week or so, including visits to both of those places. Um, but Tony Elliott and his 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 crew were able to keep keep Robinson in the fold. Um, he he did his signing day ceremony at six o'clock last night, so well after pretty much everybody else had gotten their letters <laughs> their letters faxed in. Um, but that was so, so that was sort of the the big upswing. Um, looking across the class as a whole, you know, you've got between high schoolers, you've got 19 high schoolers and four transfers coming in. Uh, everybody who was expected to sign yesterday did. Um, everybody who uh, we sort of hoped might uh, end up flipping to UVA did. Uh, they got a signing day commitment from uh, a wide receiver named Sundarian Harrison out of South Carolina. 
Mm -hmm. um, and the big thing to me is, is looking at this class out of those 23 players, eight of them are from Virginia. You've got um, seven of the high schoolers plus transfer quarterback, Tony Musket played at uh, West Springfield. Um, so it's, it's a real focus on that core recruiting area for Virginia. Uh, you know, the rest of the class is primarily from other places that we would consider UVA's footprint, a lot of Georgia, a lot of North Carolina, a lot of Florida, mm -hmm. uh, one kid from Tennessee, one kid from Indiana. Uh, and, and that's kind of, what you would expect to see in terms of a regional breakdown. Uh, so I think there's a real blueprint here of, of what Elliot and his staff are going to focus on as they try and bring in their guys to this program. And this is all following the departure of the quote unquote recruiting coordinator uh, and coach uh, TJ. Um, so it's nice to see it so close pretty highly. I think, um, you know, there are a lot of, missing pieces to building a, a full roster here but the biggest question mark is probably going to be the offensive line um i think we saw it you know as a, a a position of a lot of turnover of a lot of uh poor performance uh this year a lot of you know what you want to focus on when you're building a program and and, and building a successful offense it, it, you know every we'll say it starts with the offensive line so can you talk a little bit about any of uh good news there or is it all bad news i know they lost some uh transfer yet again oh, out of the program on the line so zach what do you what are you feeling uh in the trenches well they've lost four out of five starters mm -hmm. i believe with uh I think Tony Elliott yesterday said Derek Devine and Jonathan Leach are moving on from football. Um, and then John Paul Flores is back in the trench report all as is Logan Taylor. I believe both Justice Johnson and Ty Furnish are still around. Um, but considering that they split snaps at center all season, it's a little bit less um, encouraging. They brought in the transfer. I'm blanking on his name um, from the D3 school. Um Offensive tackle. Dijon Parker. Yes, I was scrolling through our website trying to find the article I wrote on it. <laughs> um, so that's something. Um, and then, I mean, you have a couple of younger guys in that pipeline a little bit, like already in the program um, that I think are, are sticking around. But it's definitely sort of it's unfortunate that you lost Taylor, um, especially just sort of like the youth there would have been nice to get Flores for another year um just to sort of have a little bit of stability um and so it it seems like that's some that's something that they're, they're gonna have to continue to to potentially focus on in the transfer portal um i'm not sure the degree of success that we can necessarily expect though especially without 2j uh, yeah and i think that is that's the 2j leaving and some of those guys entering, especially Logan Taylor, entering the portal, it's important to remember that entering the portal is not the same as leaving the program yeah. necessarily. Uh, so I, in terms of getting the the groundwork, the, the foundation in place to explore whether another program makes sense, yeah, that, you can't really fault a kid for, you know, his position coach leaves. And, you know, this is about to be a very active period for transfer recruiting after people mm -hmm. get a better sense of what their high school class looks like after the early signing day. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be I don't think we can count on Logan Taylor being part of the program moving forward. But I also wouldn't be shocked if once the new offensive line coach is hired, if that's one of their first recruiting jobs is to recruit Logan Taylor, recruit the locker room as a, a phrase we've heard more and more as as the transfer portal becomes a thing. 
Um, you know, in terms of good news on on what happened yesterday, uh, Cole Serber is was the only high school offensive lineman uh, to to sign with Virginia, uh, but he is the third highest rated recruit in the class. Uh, is, is a six foot six, two hundred eighty five pound guy out of out of Patriot High School in Noakesville uh, up here in Northern Virginia, um, and. Uh, on the transfer front, Dejon Parker uh, had been a standout at Saginaw Valley State in in Division Two up in Michigan, um, and he signed his grant in aid and, and became a, a formal part of the program yesterday. So those are two bodies that are are getting thrown in. Dejon Parker was a, a fairly highly highly regarded, fairly highly recruited across a lot of fronts, in, including a real late push uh, from a bunch of programs the UVA had to fend off uh, after he had committed publicly, but but not enrolled yet. But yeah, it's it's absolutely going to be busy season for the portal. Um, the portal goes quiet mm. for a little bit in terms of portal recruiting before um, sort of picking back up with with more contacts and visits and things allowed uh, after the holidays. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be in terms of of order of priority of getting the offensive line shored up. It's it's absolutely going to be getting that new coach in as quickly as possible. And, and Tony Elliott had, had said yesterday he anticipated that being done by about the time UVA comes back from the exam break. Um, get get whoever that's going to be, um, and then start start getting the guys in that you think are going to be your starters next year. Um, you know, there is certainly is talent. Um, yeah, but this is sort of a similar conversation to something we had in sort of preseason basketball conversation. You know, we talked about, Oh, they, they returned 90 something percent of their production or 90% of their minutes from last season, but last season wasn't all that uh, satisfying from the fans perspective, mm-hmm. you know, in a similar vein. Oh, Oh no, they're losing four out of five or five out of five starters or whatever it is from the position group that I think maybe second only to the wide receivers was the biggest disappointment uh, from the football team this year. So yeah, there's, you're losing continuity. You're losing um, some cohesiveness there, but it's also an opportunity to rapidly upgrade a unit that needs to be much better next year for UVA. It's, to have it's an success. opportunity for new faces to come in and perhaps uh also achieve, us <laughs> achieve higher success potentially uh they're gonna be protecting uh potentially and well certainly a new starting quarterback whoever it is but that answer might be new to the program in another transfer uh, with a 10 out of 10 quarterback name in tony musket uh can you talk a little bit you already mentioned that he's an in-state guy um but you know should he be expected to uh, be the starter next year? Uh, I know, you know, coach speak and everything about it being a competition makes sense, but uh, is he bringing in the experience and talent that we think he's going to, uh, you know, seize that role? I, I think so. You, you, the guys that have been high, high performers at the FCS level, uh, I, I think there has been a pretty significant shrink in the gap between FCS players and, and FBS players at, at at least the high level FCS programs. Um, you sure. know, you've seen schools like Coastal Carolina and JMU and Liberty hop up up to the FBS division and have success pretty much immediately, which I think speaks to some of that. But um, for a player like Musket to come from uh, a school like Monmouth that has had fairly decent uh, performances, both in the I think I think they were Big South before they moved to the CAA. Um, you know, the, the CAA is is pretty much up second to maybe the big sky or, or some of the conferences out west, uh, some of your top FCS teams. Um, 
So you know, he's he's played against high level FCS competition and been very productive doing that. Uh, he missed missed some time last year with a knee injury, um, but was still uh, in in the running for conference player of the year uh, in his seasons before that. Uh, and and I think the 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 philosophy from this coaching staff is going to be pretty similar to what we saw of, of the transfer uh, philosophy from the coaching staff before them, which is we're not bringing in guys to sit on the bench. We're bringing mm-hmm. in guys that we expect to either push um, push for playing time, if not grab it outright. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's he's going to be here. He's going to be here for spring practice. Um, and he and, and the quarterback who was part of the high school class, Anthony Calandrea, uh, they're both going to be um, – I, I think Calandrea is a much, much, much longer shot to get any significant playing time as a true freshman. Um, but, you know, I, I, this is – part of the reality of, of Jay Wolfolk being the internal heir apparent is that he's going to play baseball in the spring. Um, and if there's development that needs to happen there, that may be, he may not be he, he, by not being a single sport focus, that's going to, especially for a quarterback, be a difficult development yeah. process to go through. Um, so I think that's, that's probably part of what they sold Musket on was, look, you're going to have a chance to come here and win the starting job. Like this is a real open competition. Um, if not even Musket being sort of thought of as, as one and, and Wolf Oak Moore as one a, um, you know, we're, we're not inside the McHugh center. We don't know what's inside these coaches heads, but I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, if Musket's the day one starter. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you, you just said it, we don't know exactly what's going on in these conversations, of course, but one thing we do know is that Jay Wolfolk's baseball pro uh, pro chances are, are strong. I mean, I think that that's pretty easy to gather that he can certainly um, make a nice living uh, potentially playing baseball. We don't know that about football. I'm not saying it's not the case, but you know, this isn't necessarily a Kyler Murray good type of <laughs> conversation where where he's on equal footing towards next uh, th- those both sports. And he's you know, as an upperclassman, is probably having to work that out <laughs> as far as a, a planning for the future type of thing. Uh, I don't have any knowledge. I don't think any of us uh, have any tidbits about. Uh, his future with the football program but I think it's easy to see that maybe um, you know with the transition and turnover uh, as well he focuses on baseball who knows maybe maybe Wolfolk wins the job and is a star quarterback for us too um, it, it, it certainly could happen um, you know one thing I want to talk about I, I think before the season ending in the you know the tragic way that it did and 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 back when we cared about you know, the results of football games as a, a major point of conversation and it being a losing season, a lot of disappointment. Another added level to that was just that the recruiting wasn't very good, uh, especially considering, um, you know, the the hype that, that you usually bring in with a new coaching staff. You sort of see a bump with like momentum and, 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 and good vibes and new fresh thing. It ties into that idea that, you know, that this was a weird filling in for not a rebuild but hopefully just like a reload and and it's sort of failing in in that aspect um for the staff to to then have this added challenge and upheaval of of a you know a tragedy that no one is is dealing with out there and and you know sort of hard to wrap your mind around like what are we what are we doing here and why what what is truly important I, i'm impressed with them being able to solidify a, a class that that has some strong parts but at the same time 
you know, before before the last couple of months, they're sort of starting last in the conference, essentially, in, in, in rankings. Now, we all know that star rankings do not are not the end-all, be-all, and uh, people recruit to specific types of positions and stats and style of guys and the right fit, et cetera, et cetera. Nonetheless, um, this is not a, a, a strong start for the Elliott program in, in its uh, recruiting momentum. And I wonder if there's anything we can take from this as like a strategy um, that you see, okay, there, there's there's three star here. You can win with three star guys. Are there particular three star guys here to be really excited about? Are there are there points in what you can see the type of type of guys that the the, the coach Elliot wants to recruit or type of um, strategy towards a specific position? I think of the previous staff and their you know big tall rangy corners being a particular note. Is there something like that so far that you see Paul in uh in this? So, you know what I'm essentially looking for is reasons of, uh, for optimism <laughs> in a class sure. that <laughs> doesn't have the star power on paper which we're sort of used to here at UVA in general, but what were yeah. the bright, brightest spots? So I'll, I'm going to preface this by saying I would take a lot more comfort in the idea of we're recruiting guys who may not project as NFL caliber guys, but they fit a particular skill set for a particular role in a particular offense. Yeah. I would feel a lot more comfortable with that argument if I thought we were running a particular offense as opposed to a pro-style outside zone run game. Okay. Um, you know, this is something that that that's more of an argument for for what the previous staff was doing. That right. that you you can take a quarterback who's maybe not as highly rated because the rating is based on how he projects to the NFL and what you want is mobility. Yeah, th that's just not something that if you're trying to be Clemson, you can't be Clemson by getting low three stars. <laughs> um, that said, uh, the number of times that as as I was writing up recruiting profiles that I typed like six three one eighty. 63185 like that is very much the mold still for the defensive backs that they're bringing in um mm -hmm. they, these are guys that are tall athletic um that's that's really the focus uh the other thing that really really sticks out from this recruiting class and and both Tony Elliott and all of the assistant coaches were very explicit about this when they were talking about the class yesterday was these are kids who are coming from championship programs uh, hmm. There are multiple players from St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, which is one of the best programs in the country. Uh, it's down based down in South Florida. You've got Miles Green coming in from Highland Springs, which just finished undefeated and won the state championship. Yeah. You have a lot of state championship um, players or uh, Jaden Gibson is, is one example of not a state championship team, but basically every Georgia high school career receiving record is his. Um, so this is, a a maybe realizing we're not going to be in the fight for the guys that are four and five stars that that even holding four and five star in-state talent against the you know the alabamas and the penn states and the notre dames and michigans of the world was going to be a tough pull uh for a new staff that's this just getting its its roots so what they're focusing on is getting their guys and the way yeah. they've defined their guys is guys who have experience doing what it takes to win um, and, and I can see that really being a mold that if you're trying to, as much as we heard about issues with buy-in, as much as we heard about issues with 
mentality and and Tony Elliott very publicly calling out mental toughness and and mental competitive uh, mindset that being something that they were especially focused on with this class get the guys that have the talent to play in the ACC but the mindset to play the way you wanted um, and so that's that is that is my case for optimism uh, as well as the note that we are still in a little bit of a screwed up recruiting environment uh both these are classes that their evaluations were still impacted by covid shutting down camp the camp circuit mm-hmm. um and and just trying to play every a lot of evaluations are trying to play catch up so i think there is we are still sort of at the tail end of um covid creating a more sort of hidden gym uh, players out there. Now it's not to say that every single one of these 19 guys is, is secretly a five-star. Um, but I think there is some possibility that, uh, you know, stars do matter at, at, in the aggregate, in the total, you'd rather have more five stars. Um, but I think there, <laughs> there, there is still, um, at least some truth to, uh, the evaluations may be a little bit off with this class in a way that they weren't four or five years ago. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for thanks for noting that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we'll obviously have a lot of uh, things to talk about towards, um, you know, the off season and preseason, et cetera, and and when we get into summer camp, I think, you know, there's a huge opportunity, like you mentioned, to continue to hit the portal and and to continue to build a roster that knows what they're getting into, you know, that didn't have the rug pulled out from under them with a sudden departure. And hopefully that leads to success. If there's one, it's not, you know, necessarily a silver lining, but with all the, the off the field trauma here, I think one consequence of that in this off season and with all the potential new faces, especially if you announce a new starting quarterback, et cetera, is you sort of get this clean slate of expectations. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We have some months to think about it and more news to certainly come in. Thank you for sharing all that. It's still really hard to talk about football. I don't know about you guys. I think you feel similarly to me. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's like, it was a cloud hanging over the entire thing of, of how, how do you, acknowledge that this is the thing that Virginia is dealing with, um, you know, talking, you know, trying, especially because there were so many of, of the commits are wide receivers and you're talking about having to build depth in the wide receiver room. Um, And, and there's just the sort of confronting that football aspect of a very human tragedy and a very human loss uh, was was really weird, but and popped up in ways I really didn't expect. Sort of as I was putting together coverage for yesterday. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, well said, and appreciate it. I want to, want to stick around and talk about some basketball, Paul. I, f- I feel like you're sure, <laughs> but Zach, we all got hoop thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I know Zach does that. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, Zachary, last we spoke. The men's basketball team was number two in the country and getting ready to host the Houston Cougars, who have mm-hmm. a brief recent history of beating up on our Virginia Cavaliers. Uh, it was a game that was competitive. It was a game that um, in the second half, Virginia did um, make a run to cut it to, I guess, about six, maybe four, I forget, but uh, certainly started a run. Um, 
my biggest takeaway was I watched Houston just throw the ball over the place against Alabama and in a game that they probably should have won and played really sloppy and let that get away from them. And in Charlottesville, uh, instead of playing really sloppy when pressed, they just rain threes in Virginia's face. So um, there's a lot to Virginia's performance, of course, for these losses. Um, You know, we, we both talked, I know, after the Houston game saying like, they're probably not going to win this Miami game either. And not because we're super upset with UVA's performance, but you know, a road game coming off a tough, physical, brutal sort of beat them up loss against a pretty nice Miami team, a very capable Miami team. Um, None of us was surprised that that they lost a close one uh, down in Florida either. So on paper, you know, two losses against decent teams no one's gonna want that um but no one should be super shocked by either but that is all to say that there were some things in these losses that that obviously are concerning and and you know i'm sure the coaching staff is well aware of them and and will be addressed but uh let's let's hash out some of those what what were some takeaways that you know need to be addressed um yeah it's not an Um, exam break it's a holiday break and an albany game you know there's time (laughs) fortunately right and so so that's the good news um i think houston exposed that the uva front court isn't one of like not that we didn't know that it wasn't one of the best in the country but like the houston athleticism and physicality down low sort of shown a light on the fact that okay ben vanderplas isn't sam hauser not that we didn't know this but like he's not mm-hmm. that elite three-point shooter um that's going to be able to pop off of every ball screen and just torch defenses we saw some of that against miami but it's sort mm-hmm. of that goes to say that he's going to be more streaky than he is going to be a consistent knockdown guy um and then because ben and i'm not trying to harp on him here but because sure. he's not he's not hitting threes like that um and he's not really athletic enough to get a step off of a pump fake on houston type of defenders um that severely limits uva's lineup and sort of schematic versatility um specifically offensively and so i think coming into the houston game sort of the strength of the team arguably especially with a a still banged up reese beekman which is obviously sort of the it's what sort of you know you have to take everything with a grain of salt, considering that Reese is probably still at 75, 80%. Um, But with that sort of in mind, it's that UVA has versatility and sort of how it can beat you, right? Because it has a good, sometimes great defense. It has an offense that can beat you down low with Gardner, Shedrick, and Vanderplas can get hot from three with Franklin, Vanderplas, McNeely, Clark, sometimes Beekman. Um, and then has Clark and Beekman who can touch the pain and make plays from there. But sort of what I think the Houston and the Miami game as well exposed was there's nothing that this team is elite at, at least right now. And and some of that, you know, is Reese. Like, I think that Reese is yeah. legitimately an elite defensive and close to elite offensive creator. Um, and so without him, like, it's, I, I know we keep harping on this and I know that it's sort of like, people are saying like, okay, it's kind of silly. Like at this point, like, you know, the team should be able to make up for that loss of like Reese's explosiveness. And I think that it's not accounting for just how 
good he was against Baylor, Illinois, in the first half against Michigan. We oh, haven't yeah. seen a healthy Reese Beekman in a yeah. long time. Um, and what we did see this season of a healthy Reese Beekman was a legitimate All-American candidate. Well, wait, I mean, you just said it, right? Like, there is no way to make up for it. Right. There's like, no depth that can account exactly. for that. Right. And so that's that, a real question. <laughs> right. But we'll get to yeah. that down the road. Right? Yes. Um, <laughs> and so it's it's tough because it's sort of like, how do you create if you're not creating? Reese almost had a triple-double against Miami. Not to say that he's, like, not producing. Um, but it just, that's an, a step that is literally and figuratively missing for this team right now. Um, I think defensively, you're seeing the individuals get exposed a little bit. I think especially against Miami and, and against Houston as well, Houston just sort of like their good players played great on offense. And if that's going to happen, then Houston is easily a, t- a final four team, yeah. um, maybe the best team in the country with UConn and Purdue. Yeah. Um, Bama probably has to be up there, but they're a weird team. Um, no, they, 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 they just lost. Yeah. I Bama confuses me. Anyway. Um, uh, they're young and sloppy. And so yeah, when they turn it, yeah. when they click, they're fun and great. Fair. And when they don't click, they're a disaster in some exactly. ways. So yeah, Bama's going to be like, man that's gonna ruin some brackets one way or the other that's one of those ones where you're like okay i followed the season i know my shit about basketball bama doesn't have the consistency and so i'm gonna they're they're gonna lose in the second round and then they make the final four or you go uh it's all gonna come together they're gonna make the final four and they lose their first game no any of that could happen for they're gonna march (laughs) yeah um they're the duke of the sec right now so um but, but back to Virginia, I think um, I lost my train of thought, but um, oh, the defense, the individual defense sort of getting exposed against these teams. Um, Jairus Walker just went crazy. Yeah. And like he hasn't done that against a quality of team like Virginia yet. And I think that we're just going to continue to see him do more and more of that, which is going to make a Houston a much better team. Um, but against Miami, like just the defensive rotations are off and and just sort of like the individual defense isn't really there amongst the starters um and i think that we're sort of seeing like okay so last year's defense was pretty bad relative to Bennett expectations it's probably because armand franklin and jane gardner are new to the program caden shedrick is getting the most minutes that he's ever had and recent kihei are good enough to help but not great enough to buoy everything else now i think we're seeing that there are legitimate flaws amongst those starters defensively um each has their strengths like gardner can be a good one-on-one guarder of a paulo Boncaro. um but that's also a very specific matchup that you're not really going to be able to count on game to game he looked good against miller at times against miami um but not great and I think that sort of the Miami loss, you're talking a lot about lineups, which is not something that typically you can criticize Tony Bennett for. Um, not playing Ryan Dunn till four minutes into the second half is is a little bit baffling. I'm already considering... pretty laughing about Twitter, but yeah, yeah. Keep, keep going. <laughs> um, and I know some people don't want me to talk about this, uh, but like Ryan Dunn, I'm pulling up the, the plus minus here um, in... 13 minutes Ryan or 16 minutes Ryan Dunn was plus 13 and plus minus is a it can be a bogus stat like that sure but it speaks to the fact that he came into the game as a small four I believe that was the majority of the minutes and he came in specifically for Gardner 
and flipped how Miami was able to do things on offense. Isaac McNeely in 31 minutes was plus 21 despite shooting one for nine from the field. Those two guys are good defenders. McNeely is not like he's not there yet because he doesn't have the elite athleticism and he's not like a Malcolm Brogdon with the length per se. Um, But he's got, you're right. He's quick. He's got good technical footwork. He's been playing the pack line defense for 15 years. Um, And so those two guys really change how this game was played despite, you know, combining for five points on one for 11 shooting, which sort of goes to say that the offense has nothing going for it other than just Ben Vanderplas making some threes in this game. And yeah. that's really tough because um, Jaden Gardner finished with eight points, four for six from the field. You wish that they'd gone to him more. They drew up yeah. a really nice play at the beginning of the game. Yeah, it was, um, it was their best play of the game. Right. And, and <laughs> yeah, it's sort yeah. of like, oh, this is the Jaden Gardner 18 points on the road, sort of got out a seven point win against a good team. Um but they didn't really go back to that. Kane Shedrick played 11 minutes and I know that they were going small to match Miami, but like, well, he had a, you know, the second half started, I might be forgetting the exact order of the plays, but it was like miss easy offensive opportunity. Yeah. Defensive opportunity uh, threw the ball into the backcourt and Tony yanked him after those three plays and we never saw him again. Yeah. And so I think that, Caden definitely had moments in this game, like just as you said, that were not good. I also think, like, throw him back in there. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and that's what like, I meant. Too. Right. No, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Throw him back in there because, and, and this has been a theme, uh, less talked about or less addressed theme. UVA doesn't really know how to take advantage of having a good center on offense mm-hmm. just because they haven't ever really had one. Now, they had Jay Huff. <laughs> and not Tony a Bennett's traditional a, center <laughs> right. no and Tony Bennett's a great coach but and, and he loves to have the shot blocker back there but they don't know how to run an offense that's going to suit a really elite rim running mm. big or a big who's going to be able to exploit mismatches right. and there's only so much that you can sort of expect Reese Speakman to do in in feeding the ball to Caden. He missed Caden wide open on a roll early in the game that could have got him going potentially and I like, tried to chuck the ball outside to Armand which got picked off um, mm. but it, it's just it it's it's an underlying thing like it's not some it's in the subtext like we don't need to really it, it's not a huge issue right now because Caden also isn't like a Jay Huff going to be able to do 14 different things for you on offense but it's also like man this guy like has a little bit of a back to the basket game and like is an elite finisher at the rim and is a good decision maker when you put the ball in his hands why aren't we running something through him at the point of attack a little bit um well, and, and that's a, a- that's a bigger complaint about the scheme. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of just, it's a question of like, where do you find offense when the shots aren't falling? Because they yeah. struggled and then Ben Vanderklaas hit some threes and it was like, okay, here we go. And then late in the game, they just sort of like were able to get to the rim some and 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 get yes. some buckets to to close it down and then force enough turnovers. Well, Key um, drew some fouls. I mean, exactly. Key drew some throws. fouls. That, exactly. That, that that turned the I mean that 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 finalized this comeback ability where you had the ball down to, you know, you had a chance. It didn't work out, obviously, but 
Kihei getting in the lane and getting foul calls, he was getting obliterated, and they yeah. weren't calling all the fouls when people were getting obliterated down there in Miami. Anyhow, there's plenty to dissect, but I want to jump back into talking about a center and, and talking about Shedrick a little more, and I think, Paul, um, you want to chime in? Yeah, it's like the point you just made about like what is the offense trying to do? I think that that is something that we have seen pretty consistently and I think maybe explains why there hasn't been a dominant center at Virginia, why guys like Hunter Dickinson and uh, uh, Walker Kessler, was that mm-hmm. his? Yeah, why yeah. they were, you know, UVA was in hard on them and they chose to go somewhere else, uh, is that this offense is designed to create shots, not mismatches. Mm-hmm. And the the inside looks are the secondary, they're the reaction to when the defense reacts to the shooter. Like that's, that is what the offense is designed. And it's no surprise that it's, it's an offense that's coached by a great jump shooter, a great outside shooter that the offensive philosophy is if you make, if you create enough good shots, then the good shots will fall. If you have good shots and good shooters, you're going to have a good offense, but on nights that the offense is off or years that you don't have great shooters or a point I'm going to come back to in just a second, (laughs) give, give good shots to bad shooters then you're going to have an offense that struggles. On that last point, Ben Vanderplas is not a three-point shooter. <laughs> I, I, the listening to the broadcast talk about, oh, he's going to make you pay. You know, Vanderplas missed a wide open three, and as he's, you know, he's going to make you pay for that more often than he, no, he's not. He's a career 32% three-point shooter. Right. That's 32 points better than I can shoot from three point in college, <laughs> but it is not the type of shooter who should be getting this, the, the volume of, of shots that or having the number of, of looks created for him that it seems like the offense is, I think he can, he can be sort of the Jaden Garner that we saw last year, but haven't really seen much this year of, of that mid range sort of bruiser and scrapper getting getting a tough two that becomes three at the line that's the type of player that i think ben vanderplas can excel at that's who he was for ohio when they beat us in the tournament yeah um and seeing that that's the the insistence on having vanderplas out there despite his athletic limitations but playing hard on defense and not being able to make threes then why isn't Isaac McNeely getting the same as you were just talking about. Why isn't Isaac McNeely getting the same consideration, given that he plays smart defense, may have some athletic limitations, but has a much higher ceiling as a three-point shooter? What what are we doing here? Why isn't uh, Isaac Trout playing? Like that's the other question, right? And yeah, I know well, that I think pro- he probably can't fit defensively, but like it's it's a it's at least something that should be brought up yeah. there. And he, he, he well, probably wouldn't handle defensively. But. Speaking specifically of Vanderplas and his shooting, he is right now, he's he's 32% from three. I'm going to guess that uh, that 0 for 6 against Houston has a lot to do with that being a, a lower shooting percentage. Um, he, you know, I, I get what you're saying, Paul. I, I've, I, I don't have any issues with him be if he's open taking that shot and 
you know, we see in games where he makes them, it's it's enormous for the offense. He gets that pump fake, you know, he becomes a threat. He wasn't converting them against Houston, and so things sort of fell apart. But like you said, that shouldn't be the focal point. I don't know that it is the focal point for the offense. Like, I don't know if that's, like, what they're trying to run. But, you know, they run what they run, and this happens to be the open shot or the end result of, of the thing. I, I don't know the ins and outs of, are they drawing up plays to get Bennett open three? And that's option one with this play is all I mean to say. Or, or is he becoming Kobe Vanderplas that, you know, that he's, he gets the open look and, oh, it's, that means it's Vanderplas time. You know, I, I that, there is that of like, I don't know. I think if he's got to take him though. If he, yeah, if he's as open, it, you know, he's not forcing anything. And, yeah. And he does it, take it, contested threes. He does fire yeah. away. And I when you talk about. To. That's the thing. No one you else talk... does. Well, Armand does. <laughs> That's why I love And Armand. McNeely. McNeely yeah. has confidence. Well, I was going to get to McNeely. Much. McNeely, yeah. it's not there. It... Yeah. He's good. I know, again, none of this is like dogging on his like potential or even his performance. Like you said, they were plus whatever with him on the floor. It's just these shots aren't falling at the clip that um, we would like them to fall uh for, for yeah McNeely. and we brought that up last week too i mean it's it's gotta you know it's gotta turn at some point if you're gonna be out there and shoot these shots to the degree that you are um you gotta start hitting those a little more whereas like i don't know to me for vanderplast it's like it, it, it it's almost that, ex, that 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 expression of frustration that we've had with the stagnant offense over the years and going like well someone's got to take the shots and okay so if i get it and i'm set and open then i'm gonna take them they're not you know if they yeah. were falling at a 40 some percent clip then we'd be going who is this all acc <laughs> player and it says a 32 percent clip so it's a little a little shakier but it was good against miami it got them back in the game it was wasn't good against Houston. I don't think, I don't think the the losses are are even the Houston performance really falls to that. I think, like you mentioned, it's that the starters are going through lulls on both ends of the court, and it speaks to like you mentioned, Zach, that the rotation might need to adjust, and that there's so many moving pieces to that, and so many different results to messing with this rotation and matchups, you know, as Coach Bennett likes to say, uh, that we're going to see a lot of tinkering or a lot of different answers depending on the team that they're playing to various degrees of success. Yeah, and it's it's tough with this team um, because there are so many, and, and like there's always on basketball teams different types of players, but this team just has a, I don't want to call it like they have a diverse number of skill sets. They have like diverse guys who can do different things and bring different things to the table for you. The problem is that like, it's, it sort of reminds me of that, um, that team the year after Brogdon left, like 2016, 2017, London's last year, mm-hmm. where it was sort of like, okay, you have like a Mariel Shayok and a Devin Hall and a, a, a Devin Darius Thompson. Sorry, I'm blanking on names. Um, but then you also have Ty Drome and Kyle Guy. And and sort of like you thought you had Austin Nichols. Obviously, that's a whole different thing. But like <laughs> there's just, you know, it's hard to pinpoint who the best five on the floor right, should right. be. For if, every strength that they can bring in, right. they're losing something else by yeah. making that switch. Yeah, exactly. There is no 
set great way to go out with this roster necessarily and and so like we talk about that as like versatility and they can do different things and it's great when it's clicking and there's different different guys can bring you different things but then it's not clicking it's like well there's nothing that we can like kind of like go to and some of that is yeah okay when race is 100 percent, that's a slightly different equation but it's still a problem um armand franklin not being like a consistent like high volume punish defenses for giving him any sort of space like that that's tough like he's 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 39 percent on the year like that's fine on on 43 attempts which is um you know over four a game so that's that's good that's what we wanted from him this year yeah. it's just that we're not seeing the like Baylor and obviously it was, was it Monmouth that they played and shot really well against um maybe that's a Tony Muscat I don't know um but but you're not seeing the like five for seven games happen really, which is tough yeah. because you sort of need him to be able to like all of a sudden like be a Thomas Walton Tensai type of guy. Cause you're not really you're not getting the like he's gonna, you know, sprint around a screen and win you a game just by shooting. Cause we haven't seen that in a little bit. Yeah. It's yeah, okay. I had like, already forgotten about Thomas. <laughs> which like his transfer popped into my brain. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> regardless, there's just not enough sort of that they can like go to on offense. But all right, we're gonna throw the ball to Jaden Hell. Let him work for the next couple of minutes, see if we can just, you know, get ourselves into this game, you know, foul trouble, yada, yada, yada. They're not doing yeah. that. They're not saying, all right, we're going to run pick and rolls with Caden. We're going to surround him with shooters and try and get Caden going to the rim and then, you know, cause a havoc on the inside and maybe making a, a smart kickout pass if, the, if, you know, the help comes too quickly. Um, and, and, like, we can't run, like, okay, we're going to sort of base our offense around getting McNeely and Armand open threes on the wings and, like, making them try and, oh, do we have to switch the pin down? And then I was saying, oh, now mm-hmm. we have Gene. There's just not enough that they can sort of go to. You sound like the guy on NBC that does the elections and sports stats. Like, uh, I wish you had a... a a big a, board a, a big board to draw on and people can yeah. see this physically as your brain flies through this but i get exactly what you're saying and i think um the one thing i want to emphasize about the the chatter about the team is there's a lot of relying on going well houston's just more physical and miami you know they recruit big guys well you know who else is like the most physical team in the country next to houston is michigan in my opinion so uh you know baylor is right up there with the type of rosters that they're gonna see from duke from unc etc um we've seen them be successful against a team against teams full of big four and five star dudes you know we've seen them succeed despite whatever roster limitations you want to point at so i think the answer is is more ryan done honestly but the answer is also going to be more consistent shooting and that's something that we talked about preseason. it's something we're going to talk about every week is if they go through shooting lulls, it's going to be tough to win ACC games. Um, they'll still win some of them, but they're not going to win the conference if those lulls pile up. And the difficulty of figuring out where is the good shooting going to come from is the fact that they have more than five options. You know, it's not going to be these six guys got to hit shots. It's we got to find which six guys this game are going to hit those shots. Uh, and that you know you're doing that on the fly in, in some weeks so 
I don't know, Paul, what, 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 if success for the rest of the year, assuming, you know, they're, they're, they're challenging for the ACC title still by the end of the year, what has gone right for this team besides hitting shots, uh, so to speak? What, what do you see as, as this turning around or bouncing back? It's not a turnaround, but just bouncing back from a couple tough losses. Yeah. I think it's going to come down to handling physicality better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, yeah, that Houston game was a brick fight. Um, and, and so was the Miami game for a little bit. And, and we've seen historically UVA has struggled with FSU more than any other team in the conference. And I think it's, it's been because Florida state is long and athletic and gets right inside your jockstrap the, on both ends of the floor. Um, and, uh, I think that's that's where the shots instead of matchups style gets you know a, a team that has the ability to close out on shooters with length and also has the ability to close down the gaps of okay if if a if a closeout's coming where can I kick it to and all of a sudden those gaps are gone or the balls get picked off we saw a lot of that in in these last two games so um, it's it's going to come down to. I think moving the ball better um, when this offense has been really flourishing, they've had one of the highest assist rates of any team in the country. Um, And the ball stagnating is, is I think really hampering the offense that it's, it's one is creating fewer good looks, but it's also not finding open guys inside. So a, a combination of key of, of the offense being able to keep the ball moving and being able to be a smart physical team. Um, you know, having that, that's, that is where I think Vanderplas can be the most valuable is almost as a mindset player of, mm-hmm. of being that sort of dirty four um, that, that has been the staple of some of the best Tony Bennett teams that, that, you know, we saw with Isaiah Wilkins and Darian Atkins, the guys who were willing to play that sort of tweener power forward um, that were just nasty on defense. Um, and, and I, I do see Vanderplas really flourishing in that role and finding a niche for himself on offense that is inside the three point arc. Um, that that's, that's, that's my recipe for success is, is make Vanderplas be the, the d- dirty mustache and, and sweatband glue guy, grit guy, whatever. Um, and, and have rely on your actual shooters to shoot, rely on your your scrappy guys to scrap and and players <laughs> kind of accepting and flourishing in their natural role a little bit better i think we very clearly have the football guy on this week talking about basketball in a number of ways <laughs> there um, not that and, and agree to not... take take the time as a mole to make him practice and shoulder pads and helmets for the rest of the year well uh, jock straps out there on the on the court but um zach uh sort of in the same vein uh you know, my question for you is, is we, we see the strengths in all those guys, right. That we talked about that there's versatility, that we have more depth here. Obviously the answer to what's a successful rotation can, can change game by game. And it can also mean all of the rotating, like we have more depth, we can play these guys, but where do you see it going for a successful ACC campaign that might be a continuation of what we've seen so far or changes so far? 
obviously Ryan Dunn is something we've talked about and might be the first answer there. And feel free to use that as your first answer, but there's more than just play Ryan Dunn more. Right. And even in playing Ryan Dunn more, that means you're playing some other guys less. Where do you see some of these levers being pulled uh, in, in that rotation decision? Yeah. Um, I think the first like sort of like consideration with the rotation as is everything with UVA basketball right now is when Reese is back to hundred percent. Right. things change um paul made a great point about sort of like the ball needing to not stagnate for this offense the way you get the ball moving is you get defenders moving and the way you get defenders moving is you beat guys one-on-one and that's what reese can do and very few other guys on this team can do like they, there's just not a lot of sep- guys who can get separation on a defender especially on the perimeter and reese's that's what he's great at um and so when, once that happens life gets easier on offense um that being said Ryan Dunn is going to continue to take minutes from guys who are okay defensively and need to produce on offense who aren't producing on offense. If Armand Franklin isn't being a knockdown three-point shooter, Ryan Dunn is going to continue to take his minutes. If Jaden Gardner is not able to to dominate inside the paint, uh, Ryan Dunn is going to continue to take his minutes. If Armand Franklin can't be sort of like a high volume knockdown three point shooter, Tony Bennett's going to continue to play Isaac McNeely more and more and say, this kid's going to start hitting at some point. He's 34% on the year, despite looking horrible, like not horrible shooting the ball. Like he, his shot looks good and, and he's going to be fine, but like struggling for him is 34%. So he's going to start hitting eventually. And it's going to be in the forties really like that, that range. Um, mm. And so those are the two guys. I promise. Um, Those are the two young guys, uh, obviously. Mm -hmm. I think the sort of the small ball versus Caden on the floor question is interesting with with what we've seen over the last couple of games because Vanderplas is fine defensively, sort of as Paul has been saying. He's good on defense. Um, He actually on on off defensive splits um, for the team has the second highest, like second best with uh, plus 11.8 points per 100 possessions behind Ryan Dunn, which is at, who's at 15. Um, again, that's like a, another sort of like flawed plus minus stat that can account for coming off the bench and coming in at the right time. Um, but still like the balance between a Vanderplas small ball five and a Shedrick, you know, sort of like obviously normal sized five um, <laughs> is interesting and sort of like, can they harness Caden Shedrick's defensive and offensive potential because on defense, he can be an eraser. He can be a guy who blows up ball screens and makes an elite guard's night just absolutely horrible, along with a Reese Beekman, who's, who's sort of like, you know, at the point of attack trying to disrupt things. Those two guys can be disruptors, both at the point of attack and on the back end, um, as, you know, Reese can pick off passes, Caden can block shots. Um, and so can you get Caden sort of going? Um, because that's going to affect a lot of the rotation is, is Caden a 30 minute sort of per game type of center, or is he more like 20, 25 and you sort of like play to the matchup. That's, that's sort of like my biggest question with rotation right now is how are you balancing that sort of three man front court rotation with Poppy sitting on the outside and Ryan Dunn being a potential small ball four? um, because if Ben Vanderplas continues to be a 32% three point shooter, it does make it tough to say like, we're going to focus on that outside of trying to dominate on, on the inside with the size mm-hmm. and and sort of skill that Caden has. So 
you know, Dunn, McNeely sort of coming in to add to your defense and then potentially growing an offense. Ryan Dunn has a sick offensive game that will eventually translate. That might be in two years, like, but he has some handles and an ability, an ability to pull up on guys, or at least he did in high school. That will come at some point. I don't know if, I don't think it'll come this year. Um, McNeely will be very good um as well like this is not news um but like those guys will probably continue to come into the fold if these starters continue to not be proficient enough defensively and then not um sort of score enough points like it's straight out like it's pretty easy sort of calculation to make there um especially for tony bennett who's going to put focus on defense so it's, it's mcneely it's done it's how do you balance the caden sort of at the five and then everything that ties it all together and makes everything beautiful is reese beekman being at 100 again this team is still right. good they're still acc top four five definitely um can they win the acc yes can they make a tournament run yes will it happen i don't know they need more consistency they need more guys to produce on either end but they're still top 15 team in the country top 20 who can beat anybody in the country and will not lose to the vast majority of teams you know, it's funny. I was I was just about to mention. It seems like the floor is higher. Yeah, um, this, this team than a the lot Miami of the game other. was the floor. Like right. that's the floor for this team. Granted, they got lucky in the second half with some shots falling and like some things went well and went right, especially in the last minute of play with Miami making dumb mistakes. But even losing to Miami by ten points, like that's the floor for this team, and Miami's very good. And so, like that sort of speaks to okay, like we can take a, a deep breath, like. They're probably not going to lose to Boston College. Like they, there's some. Now I said that, but still, like, like that—that's sort of like what this team has going for it, with the experience, yeah. with sort of like that solid base of play that they need to build on to be a contender, ACC champ, and all that jazz. All right. Well, sounds sounds about right. <laughs> well, uh, well, I'm just thinking of all the miss open threes and miss bunnies and miss layups. And it's like, well, then you only lost right. uh, by two. You know, Do we want to, are we reading answer. Ben's statement? Oh my goodness. I forgot about this. Okay. Um, yeah. To close things up um, because um, Ben Wyland couldn't make uh, the podcast this week. Uh, we have a statement prepared by the man. Uh, I'll go ahead and read it. Gosh, it's long. For immediate release, official takes on the Houston and Miami games. Like many of our loyal listeners, I too am disappointed by Virginia's recent two-game losing streak. First, I would like to note that losing to a top-five team at home and a top-25 team on the road is not exactly Armageddon, and struggling against two very good teams with your best player clearly playing hurt is nothing to be ashamed of. That being said, the lack of minutes for Ryan Dunn has been baffling. After winning the game for Virginia against JMU, Dunn did not enter the contest until 24 minutes had passed against Miami, and he proceeded to play so well that he did not leave the court for the rest of the game. He suffered a similar indignity of minutes against Houston, where it seemed like one defensive breakdown against Marcus Sasser, who he should have never been asked to guard in the first place, earned him the privilege of riding the pine for the rest of the game, especially when no one else on the team can buy a basket. There's no reason not to put Ryan Dunn on the floor for the significant boosts he gives you on defense and on the boards. Basketball is a game of razor thin margins. And I am confident that if Ryan Dunn took Tane Murray's minutes in the first half against Miami, 
the Cavaliers would have won. Virginia won Dunn's 16 minutes by 13 points. While my main point today is about Dunn, I would also like to add that Isaac McNeely is playing well enough to vault into the starting lineup and that it's a little concerning how dependent this team's offense is right now on a clearly injured Reese Beekman. Ben Wyland, distinguished podcaster. Uh, wow. Indignity That's... of minutes is the best three words anyone has uttered on this podcast in a quite, very long time. Quite quite the statement um, from young Ben, who uh, seems to be aggressively criticizing co- coaching decisions uh, on, on the internet, in the media. Teenagers criticizing Tony oh. Bennett. I, for one, am disgusted by him. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, uh, echoed a lot of the things we were talking about this week. Maybe we'll have him back next week uh, to defend uh, the, what's sure to be uh, uproarious uh, criticisms and responses to to Ben's uh, flaming takes in, in his prepared statement. So we'll look forward to that. But uh, we will be next week to talk about the Albany game. Of course, um, there's obviously some roster news that we didn't get to. We didn't even say the word Caffaro, uh on this episode until right now. <laughs> so uh, a lot of basketball still to to talk about next week. So stay tuned for that. But until then, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy all the holidays out there to you, dear listeners. Uh, stay tuned to the blog as we prepare for the visiting Albany Great Danes. And uh, we'll be back uh, before the new year uh, to talk to you about that and more. Until then, for everybody at the blog, I'm Pierce. Go Hoos. Mm-hmm.